0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. What does maintaining your mental health look like beyond therapy and self-care Sunday? We're back with our month-long discussions on Black mental health, starting tough conversations, prioritizing yourself, and building community. Today, we're going to go off the beaten path, and we're going to talk about non-traditional ways to manage your mental health, besides individual therapy. For a lot of folks, prioritizing mental health requires more than a 50-minute conversation once a week. The working mom that's always on the go, doesn't have the same time, or needs... As a college student that's looking to better themselves through brotherhood. So, what if a non traditional approach to therapy is what's best for you? Or maybe you're figuring that part out for yourself. So, here to share her non traditional background in mental health is Diana Taylor, certified life coach and founder of Mom Care o- Oasis. That's a self care service for busy professional moms. Welcome to Reset, Diana. Good to see you. Yes, great to be here. Thanks, Sasha. I want to learn more, first of all, about Mom Care Oasis. How did it come to be?
1: Yes. So mom care oasis really started in 2016. Um, I was working a full time job um, active in my community. Um, I just recently found out I was pregnant with my fourth child and all the things of managing a home. It really led to a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. and I could not keep up and my body said stop. So um, really another woman came alongside me Mm -hmm. and she said, what are you trying to do? Superwoman does not exist. So get help. And I did two things. One, I began to advocate for myself at home with my husband. And I said I needed one night a week off. And at the time, we had three kids under five. Right. So it was a big deal. Three kids (laughs) under five, just found out you're
0: pregnant. Yes. But you somehow had the wherewithal to be like... I got to stop and I I need help.
1: I need help. So I did that. And it really was about vulnerability. And that's one of the key things about mental health. You have to be vulnerable enough to know that something needs to change. So I advocated with my husband. And then the second thing I did, I had a really good friend who loved to cook and I hated cooking. (laughs) So we bartered. We changed. We exchanged goods. So the vulnerability and the self-advocacy piece is what led me to start Mon Care Oasis. Yeah, you,
0: you you brought up the V word, vulnerability, right? Yeah. Even acknowledging that you might have a mental health issue, that is very hard for a lot of people.
1: It is.
0: And then take it to our community, right? I'm talking about the Black community yep. where it, it, traditionally we were just not taught to speak up yep. about these types of things and just kind of brave it through. Be superwoman, mm-hmm. as you said. How did you make that transition?
1: So really the transition happened when, um, like our culture, our culture is starting to change. Um, A lot more of my my peers, my friends, even the clients I see are open to therapy, open to coaching. And so the biggest thing for me was to create the space in order to hear my heart. And so one thing that Mom Care Oasis does, we have something called a Mommy Needs a Minute wellness kit. Mm -hmm. And so inside is a Mommy Needs a Minute door hanger. And so We literally. Man, where have you been all my life, Diana? It is golden. Um, I I could have used that last night. Listen, let me tell you, I have four kids. They are 11, 10, 7, and 5. And when they see it on my door, they're like, oh, my goodness, mommy has it on our door. We got to come back. (laughs) (laughs) So um, really, it was creating the things that I needed. And now we do it for our clients. So That's where it really got started. It
0: works. It sounds like it does.
1: And here's the thing: it creates space for you, so you practice speaking your truth to those who love you first. Then you can transition that to the workplace and other areas.
0: Yeah. So your your big focus then, Mom Care Oasis, it's mothers, right? How can expectant mothers be proactive? You think when it comes to their mental health?
1: Yes. So that is such a a tough time. The hormones, all the things are
0: happening all at once.
1: It is. And you know what? The first thing I honestly would say is write on a sheet of paper in your bathroom and in your bedroom, I will give myself grace. That's the first thing, because as an expected mother and my brother um, and my sister-in-law, they just recently got married and they're expecting. So I get to see up close and personal and encourage my sister-in-law. But it is understanding that my life will be different. I will feel different. And if you can remind yourself to give yourself grace, then you aren't thrown off that you don't feel like going to yoga class anymore Mm -hmm. or (laughs) you can't do your same routine. So, And then being honest with how you feel because you don't know if postpartum will come to you or not. But the key is to be aware of yourself and then have good support around you.
0: And I think it's also smart that you decided to focus on moms because – at the time that like
1: that's what you personally knew best yes right yes absolutely um and and the focus it was just organic i i was suffering and i didn't know what to do and then when i wanted to look for help i couldn't find it so with most businesses you created out of the need and as i began because we offer coaching individual and group um, but we also do workshops so as i began to travel and talk to other women and share the same things i was learning The community began to rally like, yes, this is what we need. We need to know what to do when we're stressed out or even how to identify signals and signs of stress because it's different for every woman.
0: And how brave you're one of the many people who decided to do these these types of ventures or business ventures. During the pandemic, yes,
1: <laughs> it, it it seems odd, but in all honesty, when you're squeezed, it creates some great things. Yeah, and being home, not really stuck with my family, but you know, enjoying and appreciate my family, um, bonding, ponding, exactly. <laughs> it just created. Okay, what is it that I need? And I needed space, so I created a door hanger. I needed, <laughs> I needed um, a way to create an oasis. So I wrote that down. I wanted to be aware. Of of the signals and the the situations where I was getting stressed, and I began to pay more attention. So tell me
0: that, tell me that message again that we need to write down.
1: Um, give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Give yourself
0: grace. So much goes into taking care of ourselves, Dan. What does your organization view as the the aspects? of self-care I know that there are six or seven areas yes
1: this is what we call mom care seven and so we title it the self-care model for moms and there are seven areas the first is spiritual and it deals with the ability to slow down be still and connect with the divine. The second is physical self-care. And this is about embracing your current physical body, not your old body, but your current body. And we focus on uh, sleep, water, rest, nutrition, and exercise. Then there's emotional self-care and that's honoring your heart, by acknowledging your feelings, your hurts, your fears. Then we move over to something called organizational self care. Okay. And that's the ability to manage your responsibilities in a timely manner. Then we go to beautiful self care, valu- valuing your outer appearance. And then the final two are social self care, kind of connecting and having a sense of belonging in a community. And mm-hmm. finally, mental self-care, which deals with engaging or re-engaging your mind and setting new goals for yourself. So,
0: As you're reading this, I'm I'm thinking,
1: where am I? (laughs) Yes, and oh my gosh, Sasha. So what I do with my clients, we actually have all of the seven on a document. Yes, and what you do, you rate yourself from one to ten. This takes less than five minutes.
0: Is and it like a quiz?
1: It's like, um, so at the top, it has a definition. And then the bottom are self-care boosters. So for an example, I would say, oh, I exercise for a little bit. I'll give myself a four on a scale of 10 for physical. Spiritual, I went to church. It was great. I got a seven. And then I might say emotional, oh, I've been angry at my best friend. I haven't done anything. I'll give myself a one. Mm-hmm. Then you focus on the area where you're the lowest and read the self-care boosters that you've already pre-planned. Because when we're stressed out, we can't think there's a fault that is true and we usually go to eating or spending money
0: or not eating <laughs> or not eating absolutely
1: i don't but have that problem definitely, problems, definitely Sasha. spending money <laughs> yeah
0: no i'm i'm the opposite i'll be like oh my
1: god i forgot to eat yeah and i'm like oh my god i had two lunches so <laughs>
0: opposites attract. Yes. Um so so we've identified the these specific areas uh, to focus on then talk more about how Mom Care Oasis fits in. So you've got this handy dandy little card here. Yes. that you can go through. What else you got?
1: Yeah, so what we do um if we're working individually with clients on coaching we'll do our different personalized tools, but we also know that sometimes women can't afford um, the services. And so how can we reach them? So we do a couple things. One on our website, momcareoasis.com, there um, is a five tips to simplify your busy life completely free. So you can immediately get the resources you need. We also have a community. We also give recommendations. If you're struggling in an area, we also do a mini self-care grant um, monthly for women really which is so dope I just remember when I first was married had my first child and we didn't have a lot of money to just for me to get my nails done or to breathe and I remember that and I'll never a forget that care
0: grant a that is genius grant.
1: it is so great and it's a mini one so it's not hundreds of dollars I
0: mean, but all you need is a couple of dollars to you just, do you, you do know, in an hour or two just you again do. To exactly. have your own time. Yes,
1: and that's what we do. And then just having a community, doing videos. We are in the process of doing research with over 100 women on their strategies, on how they navigate the office um, and at home, and then putting it together to make that available. So MomCare is really an organization that's committed to strategies yeah. and resources.
0: Well, and tell me this, beyond maternity leave, right, what do you think companies can do to to accommodate these schedules Mm -hmm. and the realities of just being a working
1: mom. Yes, that is so good. I think where companies today can really hone their resources is investing in the communication about uh, mental health. And here's the thing. If you value mental health, people will show up for you. When you have programs or workshops or included in your employee benefits package, um, a self-care workshop, and that's something that we do as well, then your employees know. Oh, they care about what my home life They're is. They're prioritizing. They're this. prioritized. They value me, and that's the piece that's missing. Well, there was a time I remember
0: just working with different organizations in the past. That that term work life balance was just thrown around. Absolutely. In all of the employee handbooks. Exactly. And then once you started with the organization, you're like, <laughs> where I do they know go? that you know that what work life balance really Absolutely.
1: means? Absolutely. They they miss it. And 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 companies who are very in tune, they see the value of their people. And their people, in turn, produce better for them because when you're stressed and you're burnout, you can't be creative. Yeah. You, when your home life is in shambles, please know your employees are on their phones or distracted and they're not giving their all. But if there's a meditation room if there is flexible time, if you bring in guests, if there are yoga mats or different things where people can take a minute. All you need is 15 to 20 minutes to get centered, to breathe and to start again.
0: And you do business to business consulting? We do. We do. Good. So you're you're helping them with all this. (laughs) Look,
1: if you're there, my team and I would love to come. Absolutely. We do it in person and virtual.
0: That is wonderful. That was Deanna Taylor with Mom Care Oasis. This is great. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and if you're just tuning in, we're in the middle of our Black Mental Health series, discussing alternatives to non-traditional therapy. Another Chicago group that's focusing on alternative methods—it's called The Healing. It's a nonprofit supporting the mental health of Black men through yoga. Earlier this year, we spoke to Andrew Smith and Tristan Lewis of The Healing, and here's Andrew talking about how yoga became integrated into the group's practice.
2: Tristan had a, an incredible idea to kind of settle our, uh, settle our spirits, settle our minds, and instead of working out, do something that was more of an active rest. Um, I'm connected to a few different yoga practitioners, so I reached out to one and asked uh, asked her if uh, she would be willing to lead us in a session, and she was ecstatic to, to know the direction of this session, um, knowing that it was going to be all black males um, who were engaging in yoga, some for most, uh, for the very first time.
0: Mm-hmm. So you were connected to this practitioner, Andrews. Had you done yoga before yourself?
2: Uh, I had done yoga probably once or twice um in the off season just as a way to kind of just stretch my body out um while I was playing collegiate basketball. So um definitely was not a practice of mine, but I did know um as Tristan knew as well that there were some, you know, benefits from a mental standpoint.
0: How about you, Tristan?
2: Yeah, so my my experience with yoga is is similar to Andrew. Um, I've I've gone to a class once or twice, um, but that was years ago. But I've always heard of the benefits of the practice, which spurred my curiosity and and, and was the reason I presented it to the guys.
0: Well, after this initial class, when did you guys realize, Tristan, that this would be more than a one-time thing?
2: Yeah, so our intent was to do a one-time thing. And I think it was immediate. You know, I think the response that we got uh, directly after our class um, made Andrew and I realize that we had something special and the comments that we got from the guys were very similar. A lot of the guys came up to us and, you know, thanked us for holding the space and the remarks that they gave us were very similar in the sense that they said, I didn't realize this is something um, that I needed meaning the yoga, the community, Um, And just to take a break and to tap into their, their mental.
0: So after that first or second time yourself trying yoga, how did that feel for you?
2: Yeah. So after the first or second time of of doing yoga, um, you know, it definitely was a release, you know, I definitely felt great uh, to be in a space where we could have some community, you know, after being in lockdown for several months Mm -hmm. um, outside of my wife, I didn't really have those touch points with other men. So it was great to to be in a shared space with men who were experienced a shared experience. Um, But I would also say too, like, it was fun. You know, I think um, for a lot of us, as Andrew said, it was our first time approaching the practice. Um, And while we did take it pretty serious, um, as you could imagine, some of the yoga poses were were challenging, right? So, (laughs) you know, I think we were all like- There's a bit of a
0: learning curve there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, well, as the classes grew, you um, you started to invite therapists to offer support to the men that came out. Tristan, what kind of issues were brought up in those conversations?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we had a variety of issues, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I'll start with the pandemic. Um, you know, several, several of the guys in our community um, had either had COVID or had family members uh, that they lost to COVID. Um, so you know, just trying to navigate the grieving process during that period, um you know, were some of the issues that we noticed um, outside of that, uh, a few of the guys had family members who had you know gotten diagnosed with um, some serious illnesses. you know, one guy in particular, his mother um, was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she lived in Virginia. you know, he couldn't travel from Chicago to Virginia to be with his mother to support. Um, and I would just say in, in general, you know, a lot of we had a, we got a mixed group, some of the guys. We're in relationships, and as Drew mentioned, uh, some of the guys were single. So you can just imagine the anxiety and, and depression that was kind of brought about just being isolated, you know. So those are, those are yeah. definitely some of the issues that we noticed.
0: You are both relatively new to yoga, as we've talked about, but you're now studying to become yoga instructors. What does it take to get certified, Tristan?
2: Yeah, so to, to get certified, um, you know, there's definitely a cost associated uh, with that, um, which can range depending on uh, the school of practice that you subscribe to. Um, and then you commit 200 hours um, towards the practice. Um, so uh, my, my, my uh, practice starts in April. Um, I'm, I'm awaiting to see what the curriculum is going to be like, but mm-hmm. I'm super excited to enter this space, you know, just kind of doing some research, um, you know, in regards to representation, uh, less than 5% um, of yogis are black males you know, and, you know, just kind of hearing feedback from the other guys, even guys who don't practice yoga. that's That's been pretty much like their biggest sticking point from actually entering the space before we started the healing. You know, I think it's important to be able to have representation, to be able to go into a yoga studio, just like a therapist mm-hmm. with someone who has a shared background, a shared experience. And as you know, yoga is very affirmational. You know, some of the talk tracks in yoga are very personalized and, I'm excited I'm excited to be present in that space. Um and, and be available to everyone, but specifically to be able to serve black men.
0: Well, Tristan, what's your ultimate hope for the healing?
2: Yeah. Um our ultimate hope for the healing is that we're able to go deeper and wider um in the city of Chicago and impact more men, you know, and, and, and hopefully we can help aid more men in their own personal healing journey. Um and I would say on a broader level you know, we're, we're looking to have a, have a, a, a national impact and hopefully we can be on the forefront of normalizing uh, the conversation around wellness and mental health for black men.
0: That was Andrew Smith and Tristan Lewis from The Healing. You can learn more at thehealingshy.com. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Before the break, we talked about alternative ways of prioritizing your mental health beyond traditional therapy or self-care Sundays. Our next guest says, why don't you just dance it out? With us in studio is Yatasha Womack, dance therapist and Afrofuturist. Welcome to Reset. Thank you. So what did conversations around mental health look like in your family growing up? I'm taking you way back.
3: Yes. Well, they weren't calling it mental health. But what they did emphasize was thinking positively. We grew up in a spiritual community that talked about uh, positive thinking and um, having a balanced approach to life, being very social, but also feeling very comfortable pursuing your dreams. And, you know, I have to thank my parents for really supporting us in that pursuit.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, And speaking of your parents, we've got uh, another member of your family with us that I think we should have joined the conversation. We've got Veronica Womack. That's your sister. Yes. Uh, Veronica is project manager of inclusive learning at Northwestern University, and she's author of Beyond White Mindfulness, Critical Perspectives of Racism, Wellbeing and Liberation.
4: Hey, Veronica, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me
0: so Yatasha was just kind of teeing us off here and talking about what mental health looked like and conversations about it uh growing up What was your recollection of that?
4: yeah, well, you know my I think that my our parents they always there was always like a level of care to you know how are we doing, how are we feeling, how was the day? Um, why was the day how the day was and so I think in even like the tone um, that they had it wasn't very stern it felt kind of gentle and like one of like concern and so I think that although um, I think we kind of relate that in our communication with other people um, and I do think that that kind of comes from you know being you know our religious background as well as knowing understanding the power of like your thoughts mm-hmm. and like what things can you do to possibly see if we could think in a way that's beneficial to to our lives and yeah. to who we want to be
0: so we'll dig more into both of your non-traditional methods here but I'll I'll focus on you first Yatasha I, I'm curious about how you found your way to being a dance therapist
3: Well, I grew up as a dancer. I went to Mayfair Academy here in Chicago. I was a big part of Whitney Young's dance program and, uh, of course, the house music culture. Shout out to the
0: house music culture here in Chicago. Yeah. So
3: whenever I was a part of an educational community, whatever dance component they had, I was a big participant. And when I became an adult, um, you know, I was taking classes, but I wasn't pursuing dance professionally. And I think some people can relate to this idea that if you're not pursuing something professionally, you kind of wonder, where does it fall in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, so I took classes, but sometimes the classes didn't seem like enough. And then I'm going to house music parties. and I'm like, oh, this is great. But um, at some point, I realized that I needed to make dance a personal practice. I couldn't wait for the next big bash. You know, I couldn't just rely on the formalities of a class. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I want to think about how to center dance in my life. Uh, as something that I do on a regular basis for me, not necessarily for performance.
0: I see. That's very interesting, you know, because we always hear these phrases, right? Listen to your body. Trust your gut. Right. How do you think then that dance therapy helps you tap into that, tap into your body in a way that is actually therapeutic?
3: Well, there's, you know, as you mature, you're kind of socialized uh, not to move as much. And, you know, as a person who loved dancing, I found myself going to places I'm doing the most. And, you know, people are like, Why are you, what are you doing? What is this about? Um, you know, African African diasporic dance traditions really center dance as healing. Uh, and I would say this is the case with a lot of communities around the world. And there are areas of our body that can just trap energy if you're not moving them. Uh, so while we have a relationship to maybe working out, going to an aerobics class or, you know, some exercise routine, we don't always think about just dance as a space of joy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope to, that's what I emphasize, mixing these different African African diasporic dances, yeah. those core movements with just meditation and moving meditations.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious why, why people were so surprised at you moving and asking you, what is that about? Is it because maybe are you sometimes moving without music or without
3: Well, the beat of drums, you know, I'm always hearing rhythm in my head. Me, too. I'm that person. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's. I think there's that. And for people who grow up dancing and they're comfortable in their bodies, that's great. But you can get to a point where you're not so comfortable in your body and, you know, making space to dance for yourself, even if it's just 15 minutes in your room, playing some of your favorite music can be really transformative.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about non-traditional means of mental health with sisters Yatasha and Veronica Womack. Yatasha is a dance therapist and Afrofuturist, and Veronica is an author and project manager of inclusive learning at Northwestern University. So, Veronica, the title of your book—I mentioned it earlier—it's called "Beyond White Mindfulness." Um, it's it's captivating. Talk about your mission with that. But what was your goal?
4: Yeah, well, you know, my, um, the co-editors and I, Crystal Fleming and Jeffrey Prue, we really wanted to highlight the research and the practices that are already being conducted by um, within BIPOC communities, Black Indigenous, people of color um, communities around mindfulness. You know, sometimes when we think about um, mindfulness-based interventions or awareness, um, it can look like, oh, like let's bring this information to communities that don't have these practices. But we really wanted to do a bit of like a reframe around that and just highlight how all calls engage in practices to really, you know, settle their bodies and still their minds mm-hmm. in an effort to gain clarity and to reattune with their essence, with, with their truths, with their bodies. Um, and so we really just wanted to highlight the different research and, and current practices that are happening within these communities and really segmenting the book but, um, by, you know, focusing on how do we, how can it be used to generate levels of liberation and mm-hmm. equity or manage stress? Um, and so that was our mission, and we're yeah. so happy with um, the contributors who were able to add.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into that a little bit more and, and help us make the connection, Veronica, how race and racism mm-hmm. contribute to the intersections of of mindfulness and well-being.
4: Well, I think... I think that, well, the racism can come in in that, racism is a stressor that some people might deal with. And sometimes if we come into certain like communities that are focused on wellness and, and mindfulness, if if the types of stressors that you're dealing with, if it, it doesn't seem like that's something that needs to be acknowledged and it's so, oh, we all struggle, let's you know, move through together. Mm-hmm. But no, there's something that's kind of specific about one's identity that can inform the types of stressors that they encounter. And so, what uh, my colleagues and I we really felt like it was important to talk about the identity informed uh, stressors or the socio political types of stressors that a person can experience yeah. um, and and kind of take it from that angle. It's like let's not be a cultural, let's not be a historical, and and what we're doing, and just acknowledge what the types of stressors that people have are, and then create the interventions and the programming around that, and even kind of pulling from what. What are some things that you already do or things that you have seen in the past um, from your your grandparents, your parents that yeah. have kind of helped them steel themselves so that they can um, persist through and, yeah. and feel whole in the process?
0: That'll tell you a lot for sure. Going back, um, Yatasha, you are an Afrofuturist. First, define what Afrofuturism is to you.
3: Well, it's a way of thinking about the future or alternate realities, but you're using black cultures around the world as the the lens. Okay. Um, so it's, a, you know, it's an aesthetic. We see it in music like with Janelle Monae or, of course, house music, which I love. But you also see it in um, it's a way of thinking about the world, a way of thinking about life and actively engaging the future. Uh, but it, it values futures and histories. It's very Sankofa. In that respect. Yeah. um, Where it's this look back. What's the what are the things of the past that you want to bring forward? Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's also, you know, something that just values your intuition, connecting with nature, your own body. uh, Is it it difficult to teach? Not at all. You know, because what I'd like to remind people is that all cultures have a relationship to space and time and how they experience that space and time. Um, And all people have a relationship to their future. Um, what's most exciting to me about Afrofuturism is how it emphasizes the value of the imagination mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, encouraging people to think about new worlds. And when you think about a new world, you think about where you'd like to be or some fantastical space. It informs you in real time. And yeah. I think that's the the value. You make different decisions when you see a relationship between yourself and periods that are to come.
0: Yes, that's very interesting. How How do you fit Afrofuturism into your daily work and, and your mental health?
3: Well, for me, I'm clearly writing about it constantly. Uh, but That's I think, one, yeah. Yeah, but I think as a practice, um, I am always thinking about um, what are elements of the past that we can use as building tools to move forward. Uh, a friend of mine likes to say, you know, it's It's not so much what we left behind, but it's about what remained. Yeah. Uh, And thinking about that as a a, kind of another perspective of of dealing with certain histories that are difficult, you know, um, and kind of centering ourselves, thinking about our relationship to space and time. And in that way, much like Veronica talks about mindfulness being a value and, hey, you're already doing some things that are mindful. Let's build on that. Um, There's a lot of techniques around resilience that are very much cultural. Uh dance is a part of that. You know
0: Do you attribute some of this thought to your parents?
3: Oh, completely. Yeah. Yes, completely. I think um, you know, I just grew up in a family that valued the imagination, but also valued um just a, a holistic way of thinking about yeah, yourself. Because I think
0: it's it's no coincidence that two sisters coming from, you know, the same home are are thinking in this way, right? And and so forward thinking.
3: Now, well, thank you. And, and when we were asked to be here together, we had to really think a second, like, hey, how did we grow up? And, and <laughs> how does that inform things? But a, a space where the future and the imagination is valued and you're supported and, you know, The the valuing of humanity, but also the valuing of just you know Black histories and cultures. Yeah, in the home, there's a lot of Black art in our home.
0: Do you, Veronica? Do you you use uh, Afrofuturism and imaginative thinking in your work? You
4: know, I think that I do. I think that I it. Afrofuturism or being um, imaginative comes in that you make sure to kind of carve out time to not just think about okay what are the resources that are available to me that's important with programming but also more so to think of like what is the world that I want (laughs) to exist in Mm -hmm. how can um, I speak to other instructors and faculty members about what they want to be and even kind of noting when we're teaching our students we're preparing them for a world (laughs) that we probably haven't quite yet existed in, right? And so how can we really be optimistic and thinking not so much about our training or what someone has told us because maybe they had a fixed uh, or or limited imagination about what could be. And I think that sometimes... Uh, depending on the groups that you belong to or your your social groups, people can try to impose what you should want, what you should be satisfied with, Mm -hmm. what you should be happy with. And it's like there's a level of resistance that we should encourage um, to – The idea of like who's telling you how to define who you are and what your future should be. Um, And so that's how I really try to incorporate aspects of of Afrofuturism into my world. It's just to encourage people to really imagine and think about what do they want to be and then how to move towards that.
0: Yeah. Someone listening to us now, Yatasha, how, how can they tell that maybe they need a more active form of therapy, something like dance therapy?
3: In their lives? Well, one, I would ask them, when was the last time you danced? You know, this morning, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know, is that something that you're centering in your life? Um, but there are people who wrestle with the forms of meditation where it relies on being still, and it relies on um, being in the silence. And all those have value. But there's also a stillness that can be found in movement. Um, that is uh, very cultural. And I think that dance is, you know, people who, who've had moments where they really like, they're so happy while they're dancing. Yeah. If you think about that, um, there's a stillness and a joy and a kind of generation of energy that's coming through that process. So if you prioritize it, stretch first, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stretching is so important. Yeah, I think it's just your your own space of joy. And then, you know, just reflect on it. You know, take your journal or some paper and just write about how you feel.
0: I feel like dancing is a a nice way to ease into being active. Yeah,
3: Just movement, period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: We'll leave it there. That was dance therapist Yatasha Womack and Veronica Womack, who's author of Beyond White Mindfulness, Critical Perspectives on Racism, Wellbeing, and Liberation. Yatasha and Veronica, thank you so much.
4: Thank you. Thank you.